The church has even been opposed from the outside. But what has happened is that the the gospel of Jesus Christ has been able to go forward despite even that outside opposition. Satan has tried very, very hard to destroy this church. But now he's failed. And so we see in this passage, something a little different happens. Now that he knows he can't destroy it from the outside, what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to join the church from within. It's a very, very scary, sobering thought, right? What happens is he and his wife, with very, very good pretenses and perhaps even some good motives in there, give a very, very generous gift to the church. But there was some sinful motive within that. It wasn't pure all the way. And what ends up happening is there's a very, very severe punishment because it's sinful. And we're trying to understand really what's happening in this. And it might not be that apparent of what was so severe about the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. We know it was a generous gift, but there was something selfish there. There was something wrong there. So let's try to unpack and understand what is this sin? Why is it so severe? The text tells us that this was in the form of a generous gift. You see, Barnabas had just got done giving a very, very generous gift to the church. He was a man named Joseph, and he was a very wealthy man. That's my son. He doesn't like what I'm saying either. See, it's a hard text for him to be able to understand as well. We're not tickling ears. <laughs> but what has happened is we see that Barnabas has given this very, very generous gift. And he's gotten a lot of acknowledgement. He's gotten a lot of validation because he's been given that great gift. And Ananias and Sapphira say, hey, we want our dibs too. We want to be able to, to give this gift. But what they do is they, they hold back something. They're, they're not all the way honest with it. There's, there's some type of a, of a selfish motive in it. It's more than just selfishness. Peter actually makes this accusation. Why has Satan filled your heart? In other words, what Ananias and Sapphira are doing are, is not just selfish. It's demonic. Now, now, what is kind of going on behind this? Well, we see one is Ananias is trying to get that validation like Barnabas got. He has selfish motives in being able to give the gift that he's giving to the church. In other words, this isn't true generosity. This is something that he's really doing really for selfish motives, to get validation for himself. And his wife and him are united together in this. But more than that, this gift is contrasted with the great fear of the Lord that comes upon this entire church. In other words, they were doing this. They were making church. They were making their own spirituality. Something that really was primarily about them, not about God. And it's a haunting reminder for us as the people of God to remember that that we are not here to be a moose lodge or to be a country club that merely mentions the name of Jesus every now and then. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for another. And he is very, very zealous and jealous about that mission that he has. And he will protect his church. He will protect it against the forces that try to come against it. And, and I, I'm even myself sobered by this text so much because I, I think all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, we are guilty of the same sin as Ananias and Sapphira. That sin is to, to have an agenda in of, our, of ourselves and then put the name of God onto that agenda and say that it hits his agenda. To be able to say, Here, here's who I am, here's what I want, and I'm going to put God's name on top of it. Because it's, it's his will that it be done. And this is so, so dangerous because what it is is it compromises the witness of a gospel. This is a sin that if you'll let it, it'll destroy you. 
It'll hurt you as an individual, and it's a sin. If we would let it, it would destroy a church. That sin of self-exaltation, that sin of self-worship with the veneer of true worship. And so, what is the response to this? What is, what is the way out of this? How does the gospel lead us out of the sin that I think that we are all so prone to? And it is radical generosity. Because we see inside of this text, not just a terrible sin, but we see a beautiful picture of heaven. It's a, and these things, I think Luke is contrasting very purposefully. He has this picture of a very heavenly, sober judgment. But also this picture of the church as it should be. A community that the very culture of that community is radical generosity. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. This was the response to the great gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Ananias and Sapphira weren't required to give this gift. It was something that was at their own disposal. And the church of Jesus Christ is called to be that people of radical unity, bound together with a culture of radical generosity. Now, there there are three ways that this radical generosity plays out that I think that we can see going on in this text. Number one is a relational generosity. Number two is, is be generous in your finances. And number three is to be able to be generous in your service. And so, number one, relational generosity. To be, relation, uh, be generous in your relationships. What does that mean? Well, we see here that the generosity that's happening is not just financial. It's relational. These are groups of people. Thousands of people have kind of coalesced together in a very, very short period of time. And they're not basically in this little petty argument of who gets their way and how can I be able to, to make myself much in this, this situation, they're, they're very generous. They're of one heart. They're of one soul. No one is saying that, hey, this is my area and don't anyone else touch this. In other words, this is a group of people that are coming together in radical unity. Radical generosity and relationship looks like hospitality. It looks like being generous with your love, generous with your affection, being able to step out of your own comfort zone to engage someone else so that they might be able to feel comfortable. See, if we can have that culture among ourselves, how much more are we going to be equipped to be a church that actually is able to reach the lost in this city? If we can train ourselves to step out of our comfort zone, to love one another, that is how we display the reality of this glorious gospel to a city. Jesus himself even says that they will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. Be hospitable. Step out of your comfort zone. Be generous in your relationships. Now what that means is that whenever we're generous with our relationships, that means you're not necessarily expecting anything in return. It's not generosity if you're expecting something in return. That's just a transaction. To be truly generous in your relationship means that you're stepping out. That you're being generous, not really with expecting anything else. This is not only the key to great community and unity in a church, it's a key to a great marriage. If you're not generous with one another, if you're not generous in pursuing radical love with one another, you'll have a failed marriage. This is how the gospel even shapes every single relationship that we are able to have. And this is something that you can go out and practice immediately. So many times Christians are unfortunately known to be very stingy people. People that you don't want to deal with. Um, I, I used to pastor a college ministry and many of those college students were servers at restaurants. 
And every single time I asked them, who was your worst customer? They would say, I hated tending tables on Sundays because of how mean the Christians are. What a terrible witness. Here's the challenge for you. When you go from this place, why don't you be kind to the people that serve you food? Tip them well. Be kind to them. Actually, treat them like a human being. Be able to be a good witness in your nice church clothes that represent Jesus. But more than that, let's do that with one another. Let's step out of our comfort zones to be able to engage those that we do not know. To be generous in our relationships because that's that type of a culture that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two is to be generous in your finances. Now this is something that is absolutely a reality in this text that there is tremendous financial giving happening in the early church. But it wasn't just a a giving under the mentality that if I give something away, I'll get something back. That if I, if I give, God will bless me in my finances, even though that's a truth. Um, when we give, God is a good father. He provides for us. But I tell you this, the early church wasn't giving to get anything. They were giving because of what they had already been given in Jesus. And there's a culture of giving. It's not just this mere minimum 10% tithe. These, these guys were giving radically, sacrificially, at great expense to themselves. Out of their comfort zone. They were, they were giving generously with joy. They were giving consistently. This is something that is a continuous habit. And this is something that the reason we have giving boxes around this room. Is because we want to incorporate that worship as part of the Sunday morning experience. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we celebrate afterwards by observing communion and responding through song and worship. But as well, one of those responses to the gospel is to give. So that this great gospel of grace can be able to move forward. The challenge is, is whenever we, we give in that type of way, what we are actively doing is we are actively dethroning the idolatry of money. We are actively dethroning that aspect of something that can really dominate and control our life. That's what active, uh, generous giving is able to be able to do. You see, whenever that happens, we become people of radical generosity. That, that money doesn't own us. And that's the type of church that we want to be able to be. That we're, we're giving in such a way so that the gospel can go forth. So that people that have real needs can have those needs met. Number three is to be generous in service. Now, this is something I, I love because it wasn't just financial needs. It wasn't just relational needs. It says it was distributed to each as had any need. Any need. So this is a, a very active role of service. This is a group of people that are actively serving one another. In fact... There was a volunteer position apparently called dead guy duty. Carrying people around. How would you like to be on that crew? Okay. Think it's bad to scrub a toilet. Good Lord. At least you're not carrying a dead guy out. Okay. And and, I mean, this is really something that's happening. Um, Ananias kills over dead. The young guys wrap him up. They go outside. They spend all this time digging a hole. As soon as they're done, they come back just in time to see his wife, Sapphira, go, you know, back to work again. Right. But this is something that was, uh, it was an eager response to the gospel to serve one another, to meet any need as had present. Guys, we have a lot of needs at the church. Every single inch of this facility is cleaned 100% by volunteers. Our, Our sound, our audio, our youth ministry, our children's ministry, all of these ministries inside of the church need people to be able to, to serve. And again, to serve generously, not just to serve, but to serve generously, because you can serve for all the wrong reasons. You can serve to get acknowledged. You can serve to basically kind of 
you know, do it in a very, very begrudging spirit to where you're complaining and you're letting everybody know how hard it is. You know, what Jesus says is, congratulations, you have now received your eternal reward. Everybody knows how hard you were serving. But to serve generously means that you're not necessarily trying to get anything back for it. It means you're serving just so that the gospel can go forward. Just so people can have their needs met. Just to see the gospel of grace move forward in a way that is mighty and powerful. That's what a church that is built on service actually looks like. To have a culture of people that are responding to the gospel in that radical, generous way. Now, all of these things you can do for the wrong reason. You can be generous in relationship, generous in finances, generous in service, but you can be doing it for the wrong motive of your heart. Ultimately, to make much of yourself. And, and the haunting thing about the sin of Ananias and Sapphira is basically God saying, is that is wickedness. That will kill a church. That will lead to the opposite. That will lead to relational bitterness. That will lead to financial stinginess. That will lead to a culture of serve me rather than how can I serve. And it's dangerous. It's something that scripture gives to us to give us pause. And it says, you know what? This leads to death. It doesn't lead to a life of joy. And the gospel is all about our joy. It's not about the stuff. This is not just a a list of stuff to do to make yourself a better person. To make yourself a, a person of willpower and strength to do the right things. The gospel shapes us in a way that causes us to sacrifice ourselves. And in that sacrifice, able to experience true joy. This is what the, the gospel looks like in reality. And here, here's a prayer. This is from um, Francis of Assisi. He, he prayed this prayer, and I, and I love it as an example of what that generous heart looks like. He says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. And when there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is is in giving that we receive. And it's in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. That is the way of the cross. That is the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we can't do that in and of ourselves. Because I think this this sin of of self-worship, self-exaltation, is something that runs pretty deep in us. It's not just something that we can try harder to do to be truly generous. It's something that demands a transformation from us. And what the text suggests is that the thing that was causing this true transformation of radical generosity was the great fear of the Lord. Now, does the fear of the Lord, where does that come from? Is it just come from the judgment of God? Because, yes, the judgment of God is scary. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira is scary. But from the Bible, we see that the fear of the Lord really comes from something much more deep than just the judgment of God. It comes from his grace. Psalm 130 verse 4 says that where you have multiple forgiveness, you have great forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. It's from the grace of God that we have the true fear of the Lord that arises in our heart that transforms us. Because you see, we're all guilty of Ananias and Sapphira's sin. But there was one who stood in our place to take the punishment that they got. You see, whenever Jesus stood in our place, he took the judgment of death. 
He took the judgment of our sin. He took the judgment of our self-exaltation and our selfishness that ruins our life. That, that brings so much hurt to this world. And he took that penalty. And he gave us the gift of his righteousness. He gave us the gift of what he had deserved so that we could stand in his place. When Paul talks about generosity to the Corinthians, this is actually what what he says. And he says, this is what motivates us to be generous. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you and by his poverty might become rich. It's because of what Jesus has done that we are able to be a people of radical generosity. To be a people that are generous in our relationships, our service, our finances. And what I'm pleading with you, and I think this text pleads with us, is to be a people that are so aware, so moved by the grace of God, that we respond to that grace with radical, radical generosity with one another, with our church, with the world that is around us. Amen? Amen. If you would, let this be a moment that you can just bow your heart in in prayer. And I encourage you to close your eyes. Let this be a moment that you purpose in your heart not to be distracted. The most important thing happening in this room is what Jesus is doing in your heart. Now we're going to prepare to respond to this word with worship, with the observance of Holy Communion. But right now, where you're sitting, close your eyes. And I want you to ask your own self, where am I in sin? Where have I been guilty of the same sin as Ananias and Sapphira? And let this be a moment that you you simply choose to repent of those things. As we receive communion, what we are doing is we are acknowledging as Christians, we are receiving the grace of God. We are receiving what is happening here. So Father God, we give you this time. Lord, and I pray that your grace would move upon us and move in us. Lord, that it would give us encouragement, that it would bring love to our hearts. But more than that, God, I pray that it would convict us and confront us where we are making much of ourselves rather than making much of you. Forgive us of the sin, God, whenever we try to to make our agenda happen and to put your name upon it, to worship ourselves and disguise it as the worship of you. Lord, I pray that you would heal that within us, convict us. Lord, and as, it, as we even receive the bread that is symbolic of your body that was broken for us, as we receive the juice that is symbolic of your blood that was shed for us, I pray that we would be a people devastated by your gracious love for us. Let it cause us to not be a people that are casual in our Christianity, but in that place of devastated joy, would respond with holy lives and a righteous, awestruck wonder of who you are. Lord, we love you. We give this time to you. We respond to you and worship for the God that you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.